Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Hello, everyone. I want to welcome everyone to uh, our online uh, message today. I hope you were blessed with our worship experience. And uh, my wife and I, Kelly, have been praying for you uh, this entire week. And uh, we'll continue to pray for you, uh, for God's blessing and grace over uh, your life and your family. And uh, we believe that God is, in spite of everything that's happening right now, God is still in charge of everything. Uh, Quickly, uh, if if you're taking notes at home, uh, and if you like titles to messages, uh, I have a title here today. It's, it's Genesis 18 of the pandemic. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about our pandemic, and then I want to discuss some thoughts. These are just brief thoughts uh, from uh, uh, Genesis chapter 18. And so we're going to begin in verse 1, and I'm going to take you through uh, the story of Abraham. It's a strange story. It's dramatic. And uh, I just want to tease out some thoughts that I believe that are related to uh, our pandemic and can give us um, maybe a a, a new way of living and handling uh, what's going on right now in our world. Verse 1, so Genesis chapter 18, verse 1 says, And the Lord appeared uh, to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, Oh, Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself after you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly, if you could say quickly to your neighbor, if you have a neighbor at home, into the tent to Sarah and said, quick. Three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. If you could say quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Verse 9. The entire mood of this story shifts, which I'll talk about in a little bit. And verse 9 says, they said to him, where's Sarah, your wife? And, and they said, or he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him, and now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in, in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah, so she's barren. Verse 12 then says, so Sarah laughed to herself after she heard what the Lord said about the following year. Uh, And she said to herself, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Right? Abraham's an old man. This is what my kids call me every day. Old man, right? The Lord then said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Verse 14, and this resonates throughout the entire biblical story, right? It's the backdrop, really, of every story that we find in the Bible. And it says this, is anything too hard for the Lord? 
at that appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year. Everyone at home say next year. And Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And then God said, I just, this is like one of those like ironic and funny little conversations. But then God said, no, you did laugh. And everyone at home said, amen. If you could just, uh, you don't have to bow your head and pray, but I'm just going to pray really quick for this message. And then I want to share a few thoughts about this text and uh, we'll be done today. Father, I thank you uh, that you're with us today. Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you are at work in our lives. We love you, Jesus. Help us to see something fresh from this story today in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray that the NFL season will start and be completed, and we bless your favorite team in the entire world, the Dallas Cowboys. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everyone said, amen at home. Well, N.T. Wright, he, he wrote like a little, a, a little booklet on, and I think Tracy, my sister, talked a little bit about this uh, several weeks ago, but he wrote a book on God and, them, and the pandemic. At the beginning of uh, one of his chapters, uh, he makes an observation about pandemic. And this is what he said. It sounds like one of those Greek irregular verbs, right? Panic, pandemic, pandemonium, right? Pandemonium comes from a Latin word which simply means demon, right? And it feels like that, right? We don't, I, I don't need to like overstate this or I don't have to be hyperbolic. It just feels like everything has been um, crazy. Uh, over the last few months. Well, let me just say this really quick. In, in light of, of this panic, this pandemic, this pandemonium, we are living in, in the throes of a spiritual crisis. And the spiritual crisis of our moment, these are just my thoughts, is that many of us in the world are more conscious of anxiety, right? It's the cultural air that we breathe in every single day. I've talked to many of you um, that are hopefully watching here today, and you have told me that you've had to turn off news, you've had to turn off social media because you can't handle what's happening to your heart, your mind, your soul. Uh, but we're living in this, this moment, and the spiritual crisis is formed around this radical sense of uh, anxiety, or, or for some, this sense of inadequacy. You just feel like everything's out of control. You, don't, you do not know what to do. Uh, many of us might be beset with uh, failure, a sense of failure or, or fear, right? And we're way more conscious. And let's just be honest, and I'm not condemning anyone here this morning, but I think many of us are way more conscious of our anxiety, our inadequacy of this pandemic than we are of Jesus and his authority and his sovereignty over creation, right? And this is a spiritual crisis that didn't start at the beginning of the pandemic, this is a spiritual crisis that's been going on for some time in our nation. I remember last year in 2019, which feels like 10 stinking years ago, David Brooks, the New York Times, uh, as he was um, uh, uh, researching some things, he named most Americans as the exhausted majority. He called most Americans exhausted and fatigued. And I think that's where a lot of people right now, I don't even know what the date is right now, but it's, it's somewhere in August and, and we're in 2020, right? But I think most of us in this moment are, are aware, deeply and acutely aware of the exhaustion that we're feeling. Now, of course, there, there are some of us that have adopted like a low-grade stoicism, right, approach to life and act as if nothings are wrong. Uh, we're suppressing our emotions. For example, I was, uh, there's a street right next to our church, 
I was at I was at the intersection, and right in front of in front of me was this massive truck, and there was a cowboy in it. You know, I just were kindred souls. I'm a cowboy too, if you didn't know that. Um, but he had this bumper sticker on the back of his car, and or his truck, and it's and it said um, "Cowboy up or bleed out." Right, cowboy up or bleed out. I, I mean, I was like, ah, right. I don't even. He was like, that's kind of funny. Um, but that's ancient Stoicism, right? Uh, Cicero and Seneca would absolutely approve of that kind of approach to life. Just suck it up, right? You're exhausted. Don't even worry about it. Let's just we're gonna we're gonna like get through this. However, I don't think most of us have that attitude because most of us are are not. If you're not a Christian. Most of us are not Stoics. We're Epicureans. We're like, okay, God, maybe if he's somewhere out in interstellar space, that's great. But we're just going to try to have a good time no matter what. That's kind of where most of us are at. And we're led by our emotions or we're led by our feelings. And that can be good or bad. However, I think most of us, again, I'm going to say it over and over and over again, we're just stinking exhausted with the season that we're living in. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm exhausted with listening to Baby Shark. If you have kids, I'm sure you could totally relate to this, but there's a thing called Baby Shark, right? And there's so many different little videos on Baby Shark. In fact, there's one Baby Shark uh, video that has nine, I just noticed, and I told my wife this yesterday, has 9.8 million views. And I told my wife, I am convinced that our family has contributed, contributed to at least a million and a half of those views. I mean, my kids love Baby Shark, and I'm sick of it. I'm sick of YouTube. Like, many of you probably are sick of TikTok. TikTok's overrated, right? Texting at this point is overrated, right? We go to the grocery store, and it just feels so dystopian. I mentioned this last week. I'm a message. We just want to see faces again. We're just tired. We're disappointed. We're confused. Some of us are wondering when we're going to have college football again, right? Isn't it funny, the beginning of our quarantine or the pandemic, we all fell in love with the Zoom, and now we all hate it. I'm, I hate Zoom, right? And if you're a Zoom guy, please forgive me. Uh, But there's just so much. The point that I'm trying to make, man, there's so much fatigue and there's so much exhaustion and there's so much hurt. And people, and you're probably feeling this right now, you just feel lousy and your feels feel lousy. In fact, your feelings probably feel out of shape. Well, many of this is connected to the fact that our world is restless. Please hear me. Our world is restless and disenchanted. There are so many people that are lacking depth. You need depth and you need resilience in this present moment, but we don't have it, but we want it, right? Here's the good news, though. The good news, and Paul tells us in in Romans, that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. 1 Thessalonians tells us, and Paul states to this church, that his gospel, the good news of Jesus, did not just come in word only, but it came in power, it came in the Holy Spirit, and it came with full assurance. That's good news. We can have all of that. This is what Paul is telling us in Romans and 1 Thessalonians. Even in the midst of our pandemic. Right? And this is a promise that Jesus offers us. You can have shalom. You can have peace. You can have joy. You can have righteousness. You can have power. You can have the Holy Spirit. You can have flourishing. You can be filled with full assurance. Your life does not have to be defined by anxiety and hopelessness and fatigue and exhaustion. It is a promise that Jesus offers us. We find this in his discourse with his disciples. He tells them, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Guys, you're going to have trouble a lot. But don't, but take heart, because I'm going to give you peace, because I have overcome the world. 
So what matters, and uh, if you don't know who Mark Francie is, uh, he's my brother-in-law. He's leading a great church in um, South Orange County called Ocean's Church. And uh, you need to check out his, his sermons. He's, he's an incredible communicator, and I'm, I'm kind of ripping him off. But what matters when it comes to the promises of God is not if God will keep his promise to you. Because God wants to give you righteousness, peace, and joy. God wants to fill your life up with his flourishing and his hope and his dreams and his life. What matters is whether we will dis- what, if we will decide to build our lives around the promise of God. In particular, as followers of Jesus and at home, I want you to hear me. Will we build our lives around the good words of Jesus in the kingdom of God, or will we build our lives around the definitions of reality that promote fear and gloom? And this is where we come to Genesis chapter 18, which is one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. Verses 2 through 8, Abraham. Everyone say Father Abraham. Father Abraham, you can call him Abe, Abraham, embodies the overall lifestyle of American before this pandemic. He's a frantic host. In the ancient Near East, if if you're not familiar with biblical history, the ancient Near East custom, uh, hospitality was the highest virtue. If you thought of of virtue was almost as a pyramid, hospitality was at the very top of that pyramid of virtues in the ancient Near East. So to be hospitable was a good thing. And so we find that the Lord, it's a strange story, the Lord and two other figures, right, it's, mis- it's really mysterious, approach um, Abraham. The initiative is theirs in verse 1. And in verse 2, we find that Abraham, like a good host, starts to lose his mind. In fact, as one scholar says, he's, he, verses 2 through 8, Abraham acts like a frantic host. In fact, um, verses 2 through 8, the entire narrative or the entire drama is framed around haste and hurry. The mood is breathless, right? It's kind of what, what we all felt before the pandemic, and maybe you still feel like that right now during our, our current moment. Uh, and the entire drama in verses 2 through 8 is completely focused on Abraham. In fact, uh, the initiative is Abraham. It's, it's in Abraham's court. Abraham is, is busy. He's filled with worry. He's frantic. In fact, there's a verbal cluster of words, according to one scholar, that relates to haste, um, such as Abraham runs and he hurries, and then he urges his wife to hurry and to run, and then he urges his servant in these, these verses to hurry and to make preparation. And what's dramatic about this story is that the, the entire time, God is waiting for Abraham to slow down so he can speak to him. But Abraham is rushing through, hurrying through um, this story. But what we find is that everything changes in verse 8. It says that Abraham, after hurrying, rushing, losing his mind. Let me just say this really quick. Abraham's not a psychopath, right? Abraham is a good guy. we got a lot of good people out there that are listening to this message today. Right? Abraham was doing good things, but he was being defined by these good things over and against what God wanted to speak to him. But then everything changes. The mood changes from breathlessness to this hurry pace in verse 8. And it says that Abraham stood 
and it's when Abraham stands or pauses, or we could even say slows down, that is when God speaks to him. In fact, that's when God speaks a miracle over this 90-ish year old couple. And then he says, I'm going to give you a son next year. I think one of the reasons why we can't see past our faces, one of the reasons why we've kind of um, uh, ascribed to this kind of cultural narcissism where we only live for the moment is because we can't see the future. And I think one of the reasons why we are futureless people is because we are so hurried and busied in life with even good things, we can't hear God speak to us. And then I love this in verse 14. It says, and this is what God says, and this is what resonates through the entire biblical story. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And I want you to think about this question here today. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is this pandemic too much? Is God sweating in heaven over what's happening right now with politics and what the Dems are doing or what the Republicans are doing? or what the communists are doing, or what's happening in China, or what's happening in in the Western world, or whatever, what's happening in your life. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And the answer that we see throughout the biblical story is no, right? There's nothing too hard for the Lord. So what what, what, what do we need to do? How do we respond to this um, story? Well, these are just my thoughts. And you, you could totally disagree with me, but you would be wrong. Uh, but these are some of my thoughts that I think we can um, use this next week uh, that, that are applicable for how we can live our life and how we can approach the kingdom of God and how we can get into the life that God has promised each and every one of us. Number one is I think because of our hurried lifestyle prior to the pandemic, we created a Jesus-shaped vacuum, and it's related to what we do with our time. And that is carried through, even though we might not be as hurried because of quarantine, because we're all stuck in our homes. Depending on what state you're, li- you're living, living in, uh, it could be different in different states, whatever. And I'm speaking to people who are followers of Jesus, and I'm going to be really honest here today. And I'm not saying this to condemn anyone, but I think if we think through this um, long enough, I think we adopted in many ways, secular assumptions about time. We used to think before the pandemic, time is ours, right? Uh, we, we, we busied our way through life. We hurried our way through life. And because of that, even though we're good people, we're not psychopaths, we had no time for Jesus. One scholar says, hurry does violence to time. Like, what does that mean? Like, some of you are like, Chris, that doesn't even make sense, right? Isn't that kind of sensationalizing things? Maybe. But I think what this scholar is trying to say is, is that it means that if we're being defined by hurry in our overall lifestyle, it means we no longer have time to have time with Jesus. And I got to tell you something, the most important thing is having time with Jesus. In fact, I know, I, I know if you're, you're checking in uh, today and listening to this message, I believe you want the kingdom of God more than anything, right? I think we all want that. But again, if we're honest with ourselves, I think if we looked at our daily lives, I think we would all probably say we just don't have room for it, right? I think, again, prior to this pandemic, hurry was a conspiracy against Jesus 
in his kingdom. In fact, one author said this, we are not by choice our ideology, a culture set against solitude or prayer, nor are we, in my opinion, more malicious, pagan, or afraid of depths than past ages. Where we differ from the past is not so much in badness, but as in busyness. Most days we don't pray simply because we don't quite get around to it. Does that maybe relate to you? I know sometimes it relates to me. I got 35,000 kids, so hey, right? Maybe some of you, you're just, you have a busy job, you've got a busy life, and so you're like, yeah, you're like, Chris, that makes sense. He continues, for most of us, that's just what our typical day does to us, right? It sucks us through. We, we have our phones, right? Um, we have um, texting our friends. We have social media. We have TikTok. We have all these different platforms that we can use. We watch the news. Uh, we listen to music, maybe some of you podcasts, all that kind of stuff. These are good things, right? We got a shower. Please take a shower at least once a week. Uh, we have to eat breakfast. That's a good thing. I think we would all say those are good things. Uh, we have to drive to work at times if we can drive to work. But we have all these things that we do. And then when we come home and we're just so stinking exhausted from life, what do we do? Some of us, we turn on YouTube. If you're young, if you're older, we turn on what, I don't know if you know what this is. It's called the television, right? We turn that on. Or we have maybe conversations with people or we have acti- activities or we go to a birthday party and, and we're just preoccupied with so much. Eventually, this author says, we, we, we go to bed or perhaps we read a little bit, or maybe watch a little bit more TV, or whatever, and then we fall asleep. When in all of this, he goes on, did we take time to think, to pray, to wonder, to be restful, to be grateful for life, for love, for health, for God? The day just sucked us through. In fact, one spiritual writer said this, I want to pray, but I also don't want to miss out on anything, right? Movies, being with my homies, he didn't actually say that, I'm paraphrasing him. Uh, drink it in the world, whatever, right? And here's the thing, because we don't want to miss out on certain things, I, I like to just add, because we have a Jesus-shaped vacuum which is connected to our hurried life prior to this pandemic. Or in other words, we, because we don't know what to do with our time, we are exhausted, we don't have the spiritual resources to handle difficulty, um, we don't have resilience, we don't have joy, we don't have shalom, we don't have righteousness. For some of us, and there's no judgment here, it's, it's just hard to, to pray. It's hard to think about God, especially in the day in which we live. So what do we do? Well, I think secondly, and that was just an observation about maybe kind of where we're at as it relates to Genesis 18 and Abraham. But secondly, I think we need to Christianize time again. Uh, or we could say, if, if, if you're in the church world, we, we like to say this. How about we re-gospelize time? So what does that mean, Chris? It means this. It's really simple. I think we have to make a commitment. If you're serious about joy and you're fed up with your exhaustion, you're tired of being tired, and you're just exhausted with being exhausted, and you're sick at being sick. That's been my last six six weeks for me, right? Uh, And maybe that's been your last six weeks of your life. and And you're just serious about wanting more of God. Then you have to be serious, if that's the case, to rearrange your day around the kingdom of Jesus. So how do we do that? Well, as I close here, Psalm 46, which is one of my favorite psalms uh, in the book of Psalms, uh, gives us a picture of what we can do. It starts with the mega apocalypse. Uh, We have mountains falling into the surging waters. 
uh, the liturgist imagines agents of chaos attempting to reverse creation back into this primordial wasteland. Uh, and then in the midst of this mega apocalypse of mountains like crashing into the seas, we have a breathtaking promise. And this promise is that God is with his people. I want you to know here today, even if you don't feel it, even if your circumstances are saying the opposite, even if you have symptoms in your body that are screaming God is not with you, we have a breathtaking promise that God is with you. God is not, and we say this a lot here at, at our church, at Capital Church, God's not just above us, around us, somewhere in interstellar space. He is beside you. I want you to be encouraged. He is beside you even though you're experiencing that panic. Uh, he knows, in one psalm, Psalm 31, he knows the distress of your soul. He knows the affliction of your moment. And out of the abundance of his steadfast love, he is with you. And there's a promise he will deliver you. So even in the midst of catastrophic events, Jesus is beside you. This is God's promise to you right now, today. Not for the future, not just for the past, but for right now. It's God's promise to those who are listening right now, to those who feel lousy, to the sick, to the addict, to those who feel shame, to those who are paralyzed by fear, to those who are disappointed about football, or friends who can't stop ranting on social media, right? So we have the situation of a mega apocalypse. We have the breathtaking promise that God is with his people, and then we have a simple instruction, verse 10. And I'm going to read the message translation, and it says this. The liturgist says, okay, with all of this going out on and with the promise that we have that God is with us, this is what I want you to do. I want you to step out of the traffic and I want you to take a long, loving look at God above politics. The liturgist here is speaking to the nations, probably also speaking to his people. And in the literal translation, it says, I want you to be still and know that I am God. As Christians, let me just say this. It's an old adage. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And what this liturgist is saying is that in order for you to know that Jesus is Lord of all things, that every square inch of our space and our lives related to our families, our business, our money, our minds, our bodies, right, creation, every square inch is Jesus's. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In order for us to really know that, we have to be still. We have to pause. So what this liturgist is, is doing is he's, he's making this tight link between pausing and knowing. Again, verse 10 says if you want to know peace, if you want to know joy, if you want to know flourishing, uh, you can't know it without pausing. You can't know it without transforming what you do with your time. We can no longer be who Jesus has called us to be with a Jesus-shaped vacuum as it relates to what we do every day with our time. So as I close here, and I want to pray for you, uh, we have this global pause. It says to the nations, the liturgist says to the nations, be still and know, cease, take a time out, right? Be quiet, chill, right? Stop doing what you've been doing. Quit the hurry, quit the hustle and the bustle. Why? Well, so you can know. The Hebrew word for know is yada. And I, I don't have time to get into uh, this particular word, but one Hebrew scholar wrote a couple decades ago. He says, yada means more than the possession of an abstract concept. Yada, this word for know, refers to an act of concern, involvement, dedication, or attachment 
to a person, right? This is, this is all about participation. This is all about a radical commitment to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, as we close here, this is the key to everything. It's the key to shalom. It's the key to parenting, living, and leading, to being human. It's a key for a move of God in our churches and our world. Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 said, hey, if you want to be a, a part of this kingdom of God movement, right, you have to take on my yoke. you got to be joined to me. Jesus in John 15 tells his disciples, if you want to bear fruit, you have to learn to abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. You can do nothing apart from me. As one pastor says often, uh, and I I like how he quips about this, we often say about, in his words, that the battle is the Lord's, but we stress as if it's ours, right? We say in church, this is like church language. If If you're not familiar with that, this is like church lingo. Like we often say the battle is the Lord's, but we stress, though, as if it's ours. How do we do that? Well, it's every single day when we don't give time to Jesus, what happens? We take on the psychic burden of carrying life without the presence of God, and you can't do it. So what do we need to do? What's our response? How do we stand still so we can hear God speak? promises so we can begin to see the future more clearly so we can build up resilience and joy and shalom so we can be who God's called us to be for the sake of our city our neighbors our world this is just what I want you to do for the next seven days you don't have to do this you can do this more you do this less but I recommend you do this first thing you do when you wake up in the morning this is how we can pause this is how we can cease before you get on your phone before you do anything else, before you brush your teeth, take a shower, take 15 minutes and just be there with God. Just show up. Open up your Bible. Just read Scripture. Maybe some of you just love to worship. Worship. Spend time with Jesus. And then you can do your thing, right? And then I recommend after a while, let's just say lunchtime, find a time. You got, you got a plan for this. Take 15 minutes during lunch or, or the afternoon period And stop what you're doing, get away from everything, turn off the phone and pray. Go for a prayer walk, get in your car, drive around for 15 minutes. Maybe do a little walk and just worship, pray, think, open up your Bible, whatever. But take 15 minutes during your afternoon. And then before you go to bed at night, take 15 minutes, open up a psalm and just read it. Pray through it, speak it, say it. You don't have to do this ad infinitum for the rest of your life. Just do it for the next seven days and see what happens. Take 15 minutes. Christianize your time. Give time to Jesus. Pause in the morning, the afternoon, and at night. And let's see what God can do in your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this message. Lord, I thank you that you would uh, do a fresh work in your people, in the lives of your people today. Holy Spirit, I thank you that uh, there's nothing too hard for you. I thank you that you're the Lord of human history. You are sovereign over the cosmos. Lord, I thank you that you're sovereign over our bodies. You're sovereign over our circumstances. But right now we repent. We repent for at times filling our waking moments, our days, our moments with good things. We repent. And at the same time, neglecting our time with you. We repent for marginalizing you. We repent for 
adopting secular assumptions of time that we got to be busy, we got to we got to hurry, we got we got to we we got to we got to make something happen in our lives. We repent for thinking that we're in charge, that the initiative is ours. Holy Spirit, I just ask you would come and you would just um, give us the grace to spend time with you this week. And I think as we do that, Lord, you would come in and do a, a mighty work in everyone's heart in Jesus' name. And I also pray for those who do not know you and are listening to this uh, message. Those who don't know you, I ask you would reveal yourself to them. I thank you that you would speak to them. I pray this week you would show your real love to them. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone at home said amen. God bless you. My wife and I, we send our greetings. We love you. And uh, I promise you we pray for you every single day. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you.